0: Hey, this is Jason Hansen. I'm the lead pastor at Anchor Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that as you listen, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus to live for him, to tell others about him. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. Well, I want to add my voice to Jessica's and say welcome to you if you're new in this room. If I have not met you, or if you're new uh, on the live stream watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning as we jump back into the book of Ephesians. We're going to be uh, going through continuing our series uh, in Ephesians about it's called "We Are" and it's about how do we find our identity in Christ, and we see this specifically in this letter to the Ephesian church that Paul has brought together. We had a a great Easter Sunday last week. It was just good to remember the resurrection. Let's just remember one thing, that the resurrection still is true this week. It has not stopped. And we're going to see a little bit about uh, that this week. We want to make sure that that joy from the resurrection, the rejoicing that we have doesn't happen once a year, but happens continually in our lives. We want to make sure that we grow that way. We want to make sure we see that way. As always, as we jump into this text, as we think about Ephesians, as we walk through this sermon um, preaching, in my mind, is a community event. We do this together. So feel free to feel free to express um, agreement with me. I guess if you disagree, you can say that too. It'd be a little more awkward, probably, but um, you're welcome. I think to to do that. We, I want to make sure that we're on the same page here as we go. <laughs> so that was a bad move for me to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we walked right into that one for sure. I know, I know. <laughs> A number of years ago, uh, I was I was having some neck problems when I was sleeping, and so... Um, I I wound up trying to go find a pillow that was more ergonomic, something that was, I was trying to do some research on what that would look like. And there was this bamboo pillow that was supposed to be great. So I thought, I'm going to give it a shot. It's cheap on Amazon. Anytime something's cheap on Amazon, I don't know. Like you just never know if it's going to work or not. Figured why not, grabbed it. So I, I bought this pillow. And uh, I, I, was, I was at home, you know, I was using it and there was a pastor's retreat coming up like two weeks later. So I brought it with me to the pastor's retreat, um, come home and, and I have my pillow and stuff, bring it back home. And Tiffany gets a phone call from one of the other pastor's wives and says, hey, I think, did, did Jason leave a pillow because there's a pillow here that's not ours? And she asked me the question. I'm like, no, I have my pillow. My pillows. I brought it home. It's in, it's in the bed. That's not my pillow. I don't know whose pillow it is. So about a year later... I'm, I'm changing out the, sh- the, the, you know, the sheets and, and putting back on some pillowcases and things like that. And I look at my pillow. I'm like, this isn't my pillow. Tiffany, where's my pillow? Where, do you have my pillow? She's like, no. I'm, I look at all the pillows. I'm like, my pillow's not here. And she says, yeah. Remember, I told you a year ago that somebody said, I think your pillow's there. And so I said, oh man, like I've been using the wrong pillow. No wonder my neck still hurts. I thought it was the pillow. It was an imposter pillow. Like this pillow that I'm using was a massive imposter. It didn't do anything for me. You know what, you know what I mean by that? You have imposter things like that in your life. You think I'm thinking one thing and it's, it's something totally different. I'm not getting the value out of this because I'm not really using it properly or it's not the right thing. It's just my pillow. In church, here's something that I want you to grab this morning as we think about Ephesians. If we are not careful, the church that we think we're a part of and the church that we can glob onto and join can be, if we're not thinking properly about it, like my imposter pillow. See, the church is something that the Bible calls us to. The church is something that God says, this is the church. And I think we, if we are not careful, we join something else. We, we aren't actually getting the benefits or we're not actually joining the church the way that the Bible calls us to not just join the church, but to see the church. It's like the fake pillow. We, we've, we've gotten something, but yet it's far away from us. We don't understand what we're missing. We don't understand what we're leaving out if we're not careful. And if we're going to be a part of the real church, we need to know what that real church is and we need to understand uh, to whom we as a church belong. That's the title of the sermon. To whom as a church gathered together, anchor church, to whom do we belong? belong and here's the big idea this morning as the church and let me say specifically as anchor church because that's where we belong as anchor church Jesus the king is ours and we are his that's the church as anchor church we we belong to Jesus the king Jesus isn't a nice guy I heard someone refer to him once as, some of you aren't going to get this reference if you don't know who U2 is, but U2's a band, a guy named Bono. Some of some people call, called uh, Jesus, they think Jesus is Bono in a bathrobe. That's not who Jesus is. He's not just a nice guy, a cultural leader that just is wearing a toga. He's the king of the universe. And we, as we think about it, as Anchor Church, Jesus the king is ours and we are his. Here's the question. If, if we get this... What does this change about us? If we understand this reality from Ephesians chapter 1, what does this mean for us? And maybe even more specifically, what does this mean for you? You and your thinking of the local church, you and your thinking of this local church as we go forward. We're going we're gonna to read this from Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse, uh, actually in verse 15. We're going to read through 15 through 23. We, we like to read uh, larger chunks here as we just dial in, because we're going to dial in on verses 19 through 23, but we're going to read the whole thing. I am going to um, read this text. We're going to break it down, try and figure out what this big idea means, and then answer the question, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us if we believe this to be true and how should it change us and how should we think about it? So Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, of all the blessings he just said, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all we we read here uh, as we've talked about if you've been with us from the beginning of this series the first 14 verses fill four blessings that god's just paul wants the the ephesian church and us to understand the blessings we have in jesus the blessings that we find in Christ, that God has given to us in Christ. And then he prays for us uh, the Ephesian church and for us as well. This, the beauty of the Bible is that it's to a specific context, but it lingers on through generations. And so we benefit from the same benefits that the Ephesian church did. We see Paul praying for us that we would know uh, three specific things deeply. What is the hope and the riches and the power that we have in Christ. And what does that look like for us? That was the the last sermon and this power I want you to notice again just to remind you in verse 19 that the immeasurable greatness of his power is toward us. The immeasurable greatness of his power is toward us and and Paul wants to make sure we understand the greatness of the power. And so he he goes on a little bit of a of this maybe a explanation of what it is, this greatness of power toward us who believe, which is according to the working of his great might. I just want you to notice something. Po- this power, it's, it's this, he says it's this uh, power toward us who believe. He calls it great might. And he says that it is in verse 19 that it is working. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. This isn't, this isn't power that's just passive. This isn't power that's just dormant. This is power that has been working and power that is working. And this power that has been working and it is working toward us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is resurrection power, we call it. We just sang about it. We have resurrection power. Paul wants to make sure that we get this power is not small. I heard someone say last week on Twitter, I think it was an atheist, said, let's just be clear, dead people don't rise from the grave. It was a a tweet about the Christian Easter holiday, and I'd say, I agree. Yeah, people don't do that. The king does, but people don't do that, right? So we see that resurrection power does something that can't be done. It's actually a living power. It's a power that brings to life. It's not just a power that just exists. It's a power that creates life when there is no life. This is the power that is ours. This is the working of the power that is ours in Christ. Christ. And Paul's saying this power is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. But it's not just that. It doesn't stop there. It's also exaltation power. It's power that raised the dead one from the grave and it's power that actually seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. It's resurrection power and it's exaltation power. See, the resurrection, it didn't just leave Jesus as an equal with us, it exalted him to the highest of places as the king. That's reserved for the king. That's not reserved for anybody. Paul and James, if you've read your Bibles, you know, I mean, sorry, John and James, if you've read your Bibles, you realize John and James, which are disciples of Jesus, one time asked, Hey, can we sit at your right hand and left hand? That place is not for them, that place is for the king. And Jesus is exalted by the power of God that he's worked toward us who believe. Same power has raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the throne on high. This is the power we have. This is the spirit's work within us. It's resurrection power and it's exaltation power. And what this means as we think about this power and as we think about what this power has done, it is towards us, but this power has created a king that is invincible. He died once, he's not dying again. He actually conquered death. And so we want to make sure that we get that. In verse 21, we see that through this resurrection and through the exaltation, therefore, he is seated far above, it says, all rule and authority and power and dominion. Notice it says all and not some. It doesn't say far above some rule. There's some rule that he's over, but not all of it. No, he says far above every single rule. He is the king over everything, meaning he's the king over kings. It's one of the reasons we call him king of kings and lord of lords. And we could say he's the king over the demonic presences. He's the king over the angels. He's the king over COVID. We laugh at that, but it's true. Over the viruses. He's the king over the the stars that are in place, the galaxies out there. Every single moving thing, every single thing that he made by the word of his power, he rules over, he reigns over, he's been resurrected and seated on high. So there is nothing that he does not rule over and reign over, meaning he's the king not just of this world. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the atoms. He's the king of the galaxies. And we want to make sure we get this. Jesus is not some small king. We think about Jesus as kind and loving. We should see him that way. Christian, as the one who is gracious and loving towards us. We talked about that last week, but it doesn't mean that he's small and it doesn't mean that he doesn't have authority because he does. He's been sat there At the right hand, seated there would be a more English proper pronunciation. could say sat there. But he's seated at the right hand, raised to life, conquering sin and death, raised to life in power, the right hand of God, now ruling and reigning over every power, every ruler, every nation, everything. This is who he is. And not just that church. I love this. Paul just keeps going on. He can't stop. And dominion. And above every name. So we think, well, okay, he's above everything. Let's just make sure we're very specific and particular. There is no name that has ever been, no name of any person that has ever been named or will be named that Jesus is not over and above. We, this is actually a biblical theme the name above all names. And actually, you, we could talk about a number of them. Let me just hit, let me just hit one. Because Paul, this isn't the only time Paul says this. He says this in Philippians too. When Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, therefore his name is raised above every name, that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want to make sure we see this in Ephesians 2, and, I mean in Ephesians 1 and in Philippians 2, and in the Old Testament. Listen, there's a story in Ruth. There's an old, if, you haven't, if you're not, again, if you're not a Christian, you have been around the Bible, go open the book of Ruth. I love the book of Ruth. We'll do the book of Ruth at some point. Boaz is a man in the book of Ruth who, who comes alongside Ruth. She was, she was uh, needing someone to essentially save her, to save her, to they call it redeem her. But she didn't have a husband. Her husband was gone, and so she, she couldn't eat. She couldn't do anything, and she needed somebody to save her. She was not from Israel. And Boaz, the Old Testament law says at some point, somebody that is down the lineage can come alongside and redeem her, save her, bring her into his family. The problem is, is that there was one person before him that could do that. And the book of Ruth is great. The book of Ruth says, this man turned it down. He says, I'm not going to do that. You can do that. And you know what they call that man in Ruth? They call him Mr. So-and-so. Because they don't want to name his name. His name isn't worthy to be named. You know why? He turned down saving Ruth. He turned down redeeming her. You know whose name is? lifted up. Boaz. Who wasn't even in there. He's in the lineage in Matthew. We know his name. We don't know the other guy's name because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And Boaz points to a greater one whose name exists in the history books. Because Boaz looks forward and says, yeah, he redeemed and saved Ruth. You know what? Jesus redeems and saves not just one person, but those who believe in his name. And his name exists. There is no name that will go before his name. His name is the greatest of names. He rules and reigns. The king of the universe reigns over everybody. There isn't anybody that is greater than him. Not just in this age, but also in the one to come. Not just on earth, but in heaven as well. And this is who he is. The king raised to resurrection power, seated at the right hand above every ruler, every authority, every name is subservient to his, every single knee will bow. The atheist that doesn't believe in him will be forced down Those that do believe in him will take our knee uh, in joy because we, we get to serve the living God and the king of all. And church, as we think about who Jesus is, as we think about him ruling over everything, everything is under his feet, we see in the next verse. He put, God put all things under his feet. Everything. This is actually a quote from Psalm 8. Put everything under his feet. This is who he is. The king of the universe. Doesn't mean he's squashing us. It means that we are subservient to him. Why? He rules us. We are in his kingdom. We live for the king. This is who Jesus is. If this is true, what does it mean for us? If as the church, Jesus the king is ours and we are his. If all of those things are true, he is the king over everything. Everything is subservient to him. He reigns over everything. He is empowered over everything. There is nothing that can come against him. There is nothing that can stand against him. There is no name that is greater than his. What does that mean if the big idea is true? Listen, all power and authority and kingship belongs to him. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the great ones. Is that what it says? And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to those that live up to the standards. No, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the kings that deserve it, that can kind of stand with him a little bit. Is that what it says? And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And, and Paul here is saying to the Ephesian church, he's actually specific, this is to your church. Which means for us that we can look at this and say, the king of the universe, everything under his feet, God has placed and given his head over all things to you. And me, as we gather to the church, to anchor church, we don't have a ruler over us that is weak. We don't have a ruler over us who is subservient to anybody. We don't have a ruler over us. We don't worship and serve the one who is just, yeah, he exists out there somewhere, but he doesn't really do anything in us. You know, he, he, he's out in the universe. He just kind of leaves us to our own devices. No, no. He is the ruler of everything, actively moving and working with the might that he has in resurrection power, exaltation power for his glory. And it's for us. God has given Jesus Christ to us. We are His, and He is ours, and He is the King over everything. And not only that, one more thing, if that's not good enough, one more thing. We want to make sure what that means. Listen, which is His body? This is where Paul begins to introduce body language, it's a connection piece. The church is the body, it's, the, it's everything from the neck down, that's who we are, we exist as his hands and as his feet because he is our head, he moves us and guides us and leads us and he, he brings us about as our king, we are his subjects and servants and we are, his, we are the children of the living God of the Father, brought together in Jesus Christ, our King, to worship him and to serve him. He has our head. We are uniquely connected. And there is something else that he says about this to make sure we understand it, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know what that means? It's a confusing sentence. Here's what that means. That God or Jesus fills the whole universe. He fills all in all. There is nowhere in the universe that is not filled with the presence and the glory of Jesus. But uniquely, as his body, we are filled up as a local church with Christ. So Jesus exists and he fills up the universe. But more specifically, and in a very unique, special, intimate, kind, gracious way, God says, I am going to fill up the church even more so, even more specifically than the universe. I'm going to fill up the church with the presence of Jesus Christ by his spirit. So we gather together, not just as, oh yeah, we're just something else in this world. We're just something else in this universe. No, we gather together very specifically to be filled up by Christ, for his name, for his glory. His glory exists here. It's almost like we are the temple. You know, you go to the Old Testament and there's a filling of the temple or there's a filling of the Holy of Holies, there's a filling of the tabernacle, there's a filling of the church. Look, I mean, I don't know about you, but I want that. I want to experience this kind of thing This means that when we gather as the church, we should be experiencing his glory uniquely and filled specifically with his presence. It also means, as we think about it, that we should be seeing transformations if we're living like the church should be living. Because when we see God's glory specifically placed in a space, his His transformation of people and Places and things usually follows pretty closely. Tony Evans, who's a pastor and an author, says it this way about this text. He says, where the glory of God is, transformation is close by. And if if the glory of God is filling his church specifically and uniquely, then transformation should be close by. Here's the problem. Is that I think oftentimes we don't see the church like this. We actually treat it like the false pillow that I had. There's a real thing that we set aside, and we pick up something different. We, we think of the church as different. We think of the church as something that, like, we can do without maybe. Something that's just an option to buy. You know, we're, we're buying something. Hey, do you want the uh, window tint? Not really. Okay, it's like an option. You know, it's just an option. I guess I don't need the church right now. Uh, we don't need it because we don't see it this way. We ignore the kingdom life aspects of it. If, we, if Jesus is our king, and we as the church are his, uh, you know, he's the king of everything, but specifically he's the king of our lives, and we, we live for him, then we should be living kingdom life. This is, a, this is, this is his kingdom here on earth. That we, get to, that we get to shout out and raise the banners on and tell people about who he is and care for others and love one another and do all of that, not just because we exist, but because we are a kingdom underneath the king who rules everything. That's who we should be. That's what this is. This means that if we just think of the church as something like, I can go, I don't know, like twice a year, you're not really a part of the church. You know, like the Easter and Christmas crowds. They, they come to church, you know, but they're not really a part of the church. We just think it's an intermittent part of our lives. Or it's like a ministry shopping part as consumers. What ministry do I like from this church? What ministry do I like from this church? And I like this youth group, or this one, or this one. And so we kind of like spread out the wealth. We're not experiencing what the church is meant to be. If we make church a side hustle, like, yeah, this is my life and I'll kind of bring the church to my side, you know, and then when I don't need it, I'll leave it, and I'll go get it later sometimes. I'm not really a part of the church. I just kind of use it. Or we check it off a box. Yep, hit Sunday, check. Done for the week, did my good deed. That's what the church is to us. You know what those are symptoms of? Those are symptoms of the fake pillow. We don't really understand what the church is. The unique presence and glory of the living God, Jesus Christ, dwells specifically in churches, real churches. Churches that promote and proclaim his glory, his name, his gospel, that go out into the communities and and look for transformation as we think about it. We want to live kingdom life business. Businesses says, Jesus, the king, is over us. He's in us. He wanted to work through us to not just the people in this room as we seek to love one another, but as we go out there to to care for others and to love them in the name of the king. So they recognize, see, I think the communities too often think that the king is a mean king. He doesn't want them. He says, you're you're my body. Hands and feet, you go out and, and you convince them through your actions and through who you are and your love for them, who I am. And bring them in so they might experience the goodness of what it means to live kingdom life. This is what it looks like for us to know and to understand that for us as Anchor Church, Jesus the King is ours and we, as his subjects, living in his kingdom, belong to him. We belong to him. That's who we are. How do we grow here? How do we think about this? How can you grow? Let me just be real specific. How can you grow here at Anchor? How can you grow? So we can talk specifically, how can I grow? Because I think there's growth that needs to take place as we think about this. I would say there's two ways. The first is this, just re-up the five commitments. Easy enough. Come, invite, go, serve, give. Make that on a somewhere. write that down and just try and figure out where, where am I falling short on these? These aren't just the commitments to Anchor Church because we've something like thought through, ah, I don't know, let's just throw five words out there and see if everybody will follow it. <laughs> That's not what we're doing. This is like, what does the Bible call us to as a church? You know what it calls us to? It calls us to gathering together, to bringing others in, to going out into the communities, going out into the world to share the gospel, to serve one another, care for one another through our giftings, and to give to the mission this is what the Bible calls us to as a church. These five commitments. Where, where are these things falling short in your life? I understand that some of you are at home because of, of, your, because of, of COVID and you haven't come back in yet. Let me just say this. When it talks about gathering together, are you watching the services with us? Listen, I, I should say, let me, let me rephrase that. I'm talking to you at home. Not just watching, worshiping with us. Like you shouldn't just be watching at home if you're part of our church. Are you worshiping with us? My guess is there's some of you that are going to see this maybe never because you haven't watched in months. And the reality is, is that if you're part of the church, are you gathering even if it's virtually? We, we want to we wanna see this as reality. And let me just make a note for all of us as we're thinking about this. and Maybe this is a, a diagnostic question for those of you at home or maybe you come back here sometimes. If, if church is the one exception to your life going back to normal rule, it's like life has gone back to normal in every other aspect, but you're like, I'm nervous of getting COVID, so I'm not going to come to church. I'm just saying, I just don't think that that's valid, to be honest. Because I think, I think when you think about it, the church is the place that should be central if we actually understand what this is. So if it's just the one exception, I'm going everywhere else except for this one place on Sunday mornings, I think there's something else going on. And so we need to make sure we we get that, and I want you to be challenged by that if you're watching this. Be challenged by that to say, look, we need you here. We need you here to live as the church. We are his body, which means that those of us that aren't here present and helping and using your gifts, it's like we have one hand tied behind our back because we're just missing part of our body. We need you. We need you if you're at home. We'd love to have you. I'd love to see you. As we're thinking about it. And I love the fact, I just read a statistic this morning 40% of adults in Maricopa County vaccinated. That's great. That's really good news. So we're close. We're close, everybody. We're really close to real back to normal life. Um, But that's one. Re-up the commitments. Invite. Who are you inviting? We've talked about this. Who are you bringing into our community with us? Are you going out into the community? Listen, we are trying really hard to think through how we can get off the ground and teach and train and help us all learn what mercy ministry looks like in our church, in our context, in our communities. What does it mean to go out into the community? One question would be if, if Anchor Church folded tomorrow, would the community even know it? Would they miss us? Would they miss what we're bringing? Would they miss what we are giving? Are they missing us at all? We we'll want to make sure we think through these things. Are you serving somewhere? Are you volunteering somewhere? Are you giving faithfully? Re-up the five commitments. It's one of the ways that we can actually live a biblical church life. We can actually take the, the counterfeit pillow and put it aside and say, I'm going to go actually get the real thing. And we pick up the real thing. That's one. And the second, second way we can do this is that fight against playing church and be his church. Fight against playing church. I don't know about you, but I'm not up for playing church. I just don't. If all we're going to do, and this is not a correction, this is just, this is just me being real. If all we're going to do is play church, we well, might as well just shut it down. I want to play church. I want to see God move. I want to see God work. I want to see God active and moving in us and moving through us. I think if we're just the kind of folks that are like, I'm going to check off the Sunday morning box And we go our own separate ways. It's just a symptom, maybe. Or maybe as you're thinking about diagnostics, maybe that's something where you need to think, am I just playing church or am I wanting to be a part of his kingdom church? Kingdom life. Is this what we're doing as we're thinking about it? I think we're seeing ourselves as those that are actively thinking through how do we as a church, like an amoeba, start going out and pulling people in? You know why? Because we want people to know what we have in Jesus. And we're so concerned about his name that we're just going out into the community. We're going out and we're serving the needy and the poor. We're going out and proclaiming to the wealthy. We're going out to those that are healthy and those that are sick, those that are in need of help and those that don't think they need help. We're going out to anybody and saying, hey, do you know the Jesus that we're preaching? And we're doing that faithfully. Are we doing that? Are we loving one another with a resurrection power kind of love? Look, we can love one another with with love, quote unquote, and we don't really love each other. But you know what? There is a resurrection power kind of love that we can love each other with, that, over, that overshadows lots of things, that brings us together and binds us together. How are we thinking about this? Are we living that way? Do we look at our community, and do we try to love them with a resurrection power kind of love in the kingdom of God, for his name and his glory? We want to see the community. If, if what Tony Evans said is true, That where the glory of God is, then transformation is close by. Listen, the church is where the glory of God gathers uniquely. Well, well, where are we trying to see him transform? Where are we doing it? Because if we're living as a real church, and if we're living rightly as the church, not a counterfeit church, but a real church that, that sees Jesus as the king, and that we walk that out, there should be transformation taking place. Where are we seeing it? I don't know about you, but I want to see God move up close. I don't want to see him move across the city. Actually, I do want to see him move across the city. (laughs) I do want to see him move across the city. um, But I'm not contented with just seeing him move across the city. I want to see him. It's great to see him move when I take my binoculars out and go, oh, look what's going on over there. But I want to take my binoculars off and go, whoa, wait a second. He's here too. This is what I want to see. I want to see God move this way and I'm praying he does move this way. We want to love the community with a resurrection power kind of love. We want to see that, love one another, love the community. We want to, we want to be those that love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves our neighbor as ourself. That includes all of us in here and includes all of us out there. How are we doing that? How are we thinking about it? The Ephesians is going to help us here. Look, one of the reasons we're so excited to go through this is that we're going to get a lot of practical application. But Paul's desire is for the church, for us, to recognize that the power that's within us is not a small power, and the king that's over us is not a lowercase k king. He's all caps. All caps is stuck. Can't turn it off. I want to turn it off. I want to make Jesus a smaller king because I like to build my kingdom. And you can't turn off all caps. You ever get in Word doc and you're like, why won't caps turn off? Why won't, what's going on? Listen, this is who Jesus is. He will not let you lowercase his name. All caps, that's who he is. We want to live that way. Our mission is inviting people To live generously for Jesus in all of life. That's us and it's those out there. But invitations in the word, in the name, in the whatever, the sentence. Invitation is there. Because we want to invite people in. We want to invite, I want to invite, this whole sermon is to invite you to not just live kind of for Jesus. But it's to live generously for Jesus because he is the king. And we want to live kingdom life for his glory. I'm going to call the band up here as we...